Well, good morning. Man, it is so, so good to see everybody this morning. I didn't know how much I missed you guys until I, I got here this morning and people started giving me hugs and shaking my hand and just telling me how much you love me and miss me. It just means so, so much to us to be here this morning. I told myself I would not get emotional, but here I am already um, within the first minute. So please bear with me this morning. Um, you know, I've learned to appreciate some things differently over this past year and a half. I've learned to appreciate heaters more. Um, there was one day just a few weeks ago where it felt like negative 10 degrees outside. And uh, the house that I live in now, we have these radiators in every room and it's almost like having a miniature fireplace in every room. And so I just kind of huddle around these radiators until I, I thaw out. So I've learned to appreciate heat a lot more. When we left on Thursday, I guess it was about 3 a.m. When, whenever we pulled out from Everett, Massachusetts, it had, had snowed about eight inches on Sunday. It snowed about another six on Tuesday. And it was so cold that it, none of it went anywhere. It was still there on the ground. So we had knee, you know, we had snow up to uh, the, the part of my knee in different places in my yard, but I've also learned to appreciate a snowblower, if that means anything. Part of the, the law up there is that when it snows, you're only given a certain amount of time until you have to clean off your sidewalk, all right? And so typically what people do is as soon as it st stops snowing, you immediately go out and start getting it up because you do not want it to freeze over. And so I thought it would be a great idea if I purchased a, just a small battery-powered snowblower. Immediately, people started making fun of me, um, and, and I, I took it, all right, I took it. Um, but then we had friends come over for the Super Bowl, and they parked out right outside of our house, and over the span of the Super Bowl, we got about eight inches of snow, like I said, and so we had to go out and dig their car out so they could go home. Um, and I brought my snowblower out and I just buzzed away. And they were like, forget everything we ever said about your snowblower. We love your snowblower. Can we borrow your snowblower? And so it's turned into kind of a missions opportunity as well. Um, but I've learned to appreciate those things. I've really learned to appreciate what we have going on right now. That's being together as a church and being able to worship together in person because ever since last March, that's not been the reality for us in New England, okay? And so church for us looks like uh, I preach every other week now, and so I'll go record our sermon in a space we have set up every Saturday, and then we stream it on Sunday, and so church right now is me and my family around a dinner table on Sunday morning. Uh, children's church is um, Archer and Ainsley, and sometimes Adden, he's a little crazy now, um, in front of the computer doing a zoom meeting for about 45 minutes after we do church on Sunday morning and so to be able to see my kids this morning with friends who are also Christians is unbelievable to me and I really really appreciate that now it really puts into perspective some of the things that I would give up like coming to church on Sunday morning some of the things I would put in front of that because now here I am seeing my daughter sit with her friend on the front row and seeing my son praise God and it just means so much to me and I am so grateful for you all so much we have missed you so very very much I want to take a moment before I get into uh, the, the text this morning to also say thank you from the bottom of my heart thank you for your continued generosity and supporting us in the mission that God's called us to. It truly does mean more than words can express to you this morning. I just don't know what else to say, but thank you. I had the opportunity to speak with Pastor Rod a couple weeks ago for the first time, and I'm very grateful for him and his calling here to Sherall. I was encouraged by him. Um, we tuned in. We tune in several Sundays to worship with you guys from Massachusetts, but I'm always encouraged by him. I had the opportunity to speak with Pastor Robert 
I'm excited about the opportunity that we get to work with Pastor Rod, Pastor Robert, Pastor Trey, and all of you guys as we continue to move forward in the mission here in New England and in Sherrall, South Carolina. So I'm extremely grateful that they are here. And in my time this morning, I wanna try to accomplish two things, all right? Uh, one is gonna be to give you guys an update on the ministry as it's going on in Boston. I'm excited. I have some exciting news to share with you and I love talking about that stuff. The second thing that I want to accomplish this morning is to open God's word with you. And that's where I always like to start. And so this morning we are going to be in Acts chapter number 16. Acts chapter number 16 and I'm gonna begin in verse number 25. It's a very familiar passage in the Bible. But while you're turning there, I do wanna kinda of set the stage for some of the things I'm gonna talk about this morning. And when I think about where we live in New England and where we are here today, I think about just how different the culture is. And when I say culture, I mean just our way of life. I mean the, the way that we behave. I mean the things that we believe. I mean the values and the morals that make up who we are and just the way that we do life on a daily basis. Culture is different in New England than it is in Sherrall. And when I ask people typically, what do you think about when you think about the culture of the world today? Uh, you get several different answers, but typically if I speak to a Christian audience and I say, what do you think about the culture today? The answer that I usually get is that it's, it's pretty bad, honestly. When we look at the world as a whole, it does not line up with what God teaches in his word. And so we've, we've kind of taken different approaches when it comes to our culture. The different things about us also influence how we feel about the culture of the world. Where you live plays a big role in how you feel about the culture of the world. Your religion plays a major role in how you feel about the culture of the world. Your age can play a big role in how you feel about the culture of the world today. But as Christians, I think it's safe for us to all agree that the culture of the world at in large does not line up with what the Bible teaches. And so when we think about culture, we think about something that is, it needs some work. All right, we, we got some work to do. Some people I've talked to, they've sort of adopted this cancel culture movement that's been going around. That means that if you disagree with someone, we just delete them essentially from our life. We cancel them from our life. We stop following them on Facebook, uh, which typically be, uh, is the way that that plays out. But what we are trying to accomplish in Boston, what we're trying to accomplish in Everett, Massachusetts, is to introduce a better culture. And so it's easy for me to be where I am and to look at things and say, man, this is not how God designed things to be and just condemn it. But what's hard is for me to try to engage the culture. That's what God has called me to do. And to engage the culture, to seek changes in the culture where we live, it requires me and us and our family and the people who have decided to come work along beside us to say, hey, there is a better culture out there. And that is a gospel culture. That is a gospel culture. And this is what we are trying to do. So while I'm giving you all an update on our family and our church and the work that God is doing in Everett, I also want to show you characteristics of a gospel culture. And so it's written throughout the pages of the Bible. But like I said, the example we're gonna look at this morning is in Acts chapter 16. We're gonna look at one person in this Acts 16 narrative who was, came into contact with this gospel culture and it completely changed his life. And that is uh, the jailer in the Philippian region, the Philippian jailer. 
So it's a popular story in the Bible. You have Paul and Silas who are missionaries. They go on a mission trip through this region with the goal of planting churches. And then they enter into the city of Philippi. Typically when I try to explain our context of Everett to people, I like to compare it to Philippi in the Bible. It's very diverse. Um, It's right there. It's kind of a major city just outside of an even uh, bigger city. And so as Paul and Silas are in Philippi, we get to see the beginning of the Philippian church. Later on, we would see where Paul was actually writing a letter to this church in Philippians. But in Acts 16, we actually get to see the individuals that helped make this church up. And so as they're in Philippi, they meet a lady named Lydia. She's a seller of purple goods. She becomes a follower of Christ. They meet this slave girl who is going around and kind of poking fun at Paul and Silas. Paul just gets completely fed up with the situation. And so he commands the evil spirit that is in this slave girl to come out and it does. And then you have the owners who own this slave girl who are now completely upset with Paul and Silas because the money that they were making off of this girl, they could no longer make because she no longer has the power to tell the future or to tell fortunes anymore. And so they want retribution. And so they go to Paul and Silas, they go to the government and they say, these guides are up to no good and they have Paul and Silas locked away. And that's where we get to in verse 25. Paul and Silas have been beaten and now they're put into prison. And so I'm gonna begin reading Acts 16, verse 25 through 34. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Let's pray together. God, Father, we just thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity we have to open your word, Father. Thank you for these people that are here and those who are joining with us on Uh, Facebook, God, I just thank you so much for the truth of your word. And God, I pray this morning that as we look at this single passage, God, that you would just illuminate for us what you would have us to know. I pray that you would prepare our, our hearts, our minds, and that you would give us eyes to see just how good you are this morning, Father. And God, I just give you praise and glory and thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so here we have Paul and Silas in prison, in shackles, in chains, and we see something absolutely amazing take place. Now, typically we would say that the miracle in this passage would be the earthquake that kind of shook the prison and uh, the chains fell free, right? Now, that, that's miraculous. But I would contend that the greatest miracle in this passage would be that we see a human heart transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the biggest miracle that I see in these pages. And through this transformation of this Philippian jailer, we see what a gospel culture is. 
And it's the culture that we are trying to cultivate in Everett where we are. First thing we see about a gospel culture is this. Gospel culture prioritizes truth and repentance. A gospel culture prioritizes truth and repentance. Paul and Silas were in the inner, pre- inner prison after being beaten. They were placed under the guard of this Philippian jailer. This jailer was likely one of the people who had also helped beat and inflict wounds upon Paul and Silas. But instead of cowering in fear, instead of becoming angry or insulting, instead of yelling threats, we see Paul and Silas display joy in this extremely difficult circumstance. And as they're worshiping God, an earthquake shakes the prison and their chains fall. And as the jailer sees this happen, he realizes that he is going to be the person that is held responsible for losing all of these prisoners and that the government as a payment will require his life. So he decides to avoid that shame and take his own life instead. Paul and Silas stop the jailer And they say, look, we are all still here. The jailer calls for the lights. And then this is where we see this great miracle take place. In verse 30, he says, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And they, they took him the same hour of the night and, they wa- and he washed their wounds. And then he was baptized, him and his family. A gospel culture prioritizes truth and repentance. What's interesting here is that we, what we see happen in this prison is exactly what we are attempting to do in our city. Paul and Silas brought the gospel with them into the confines of a Philippian prison. They brought this gospel culture into the confines of a prison cell. And even though they found themselves in prison, even though they were beaten, they still found a way to display the gospel culture. And then they showed this Philippian jailer the truth. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. The ultimate truth is the word of God. The ultimate truth is the word of God. This is our foundation. A gospel culture has to be based on the word of God or it is not a gospel culture. Now I was sharing this earlier with someone Archer, he's in third grade, he's nine years old. He's learning things in school that he would not have learned had we stayed in uh, South Carolina. All right, he's exposed to things at the age of nine that he would not have been exposed to. Um, He's learning things in school where um, it's being taught to him as truth from, from from a school perspective but it does not line up with what God has taught us in his word. And so what I'm finding myself doing now is Archer will come to me and say, this is what was said in school. And I'll say, okay, now let's go see what the Bible says about this. Because the Bible is our truth. This is not the opinion of your father, Archer. This is the truth of God's word. A gospel culture prioritizes the truth and the ultimate truth is God's word. Now, I'm gonna kind of give you a little bit of an update on us now. I'm gonna try to weave this in as we go through. Um, But for those of you, you know, you may be here and you're like, who is this dude talking? All right, what's he talking about? Boston, Everett, what is all of that? Uh, just so you know, in August of 2019, Shaw First Baptist became our sending church, which means that this wonderful church sent us out as missionaries to uh, a region of the United States that's considered to be the most unchurched 
part of the country, up to New England. Um, we had a heart for a city called Everett, Massachusetts. And I have this picture that I wanna share with you. I got a clicker, so we'll see if that works. Just good. Oops. Is there a picture? Um, there should be a different one. It looks like a picture of the city. Is that one in there? Yeah, there, there it is. Thank you. All right, so this is me on the banks of the river in Everett, Massachusetts. And in the distance, you see the city of Boston. All right, so people want to know where is Everett? Everett is just across the river from the city of Boston. This is where we were sent to. And so if, you, if you're a history buff, you would look at this picture and um, on the banks of the river, just on the other side is where Paul Revere did his ride. All right, so that's pretty cool. Whenever, I, whenever people come to visit us in Everett, I usually take them to this part of the, of the city and I'll say, look, this is Boston. All right, this is what God has called us to. And that's where Paul Revere rode that horse to warn people that the British were coming. And it's just a really cool way to kind of put things into perspective but this is a picture of Boston from the city of Everett Everett is a great great city it's a little city and when I say little I mean by land mass only it's about three square miles uh, but there's over 50,000 people inside of those three square miles and it's growing um, and kind of a funny thing happened yesterday we rode to Florence and, you know, we obviously haven't been to Florence in a long time. And uh, Archer remembers Florence as being a big city. All right, my nine-year-old, like Florence is a big city, right? And so we get to Florence and he said, where are we? And I said, well, we're in Florence, buddy. He said, I thought Florence was a city. <laughs> I said, it is a city. He said, now this is a suburb. And I said, come on, man. <laughs> No, so his, his definition of city has changed a little bit, but Everett is a city, all right? It's three square miles, over 50,000 people and growing. It's extremely diverse, and we absolutely love that about our city. And we hope and pray that our church will be a reflection of the diversity that is in our community. Within our community, we have a very large Brazilian population. And so we have a lot of people who speak Portuguese. And then we have children who are in Archer's class who are part of Brazilian families where, where their parents speak Portuguese, but they've learned to speak English and Portuguese. There's also a large uh, Hispanic population. So there's a lot of people who speak Spanish in Everett. And then there's also a large Haitian Creole population. So there's a lot of people who speak that language as well. And our goal from from day number one was not just to move to a city that we felt like needed a church and plant a church. Our goal from day one was to do two other things first. That was plant our lives to become a part of the community that God had sent us to and to also plant the gospel because we believe that if we plant our lives and if we plant the gospel, the church will come. And so like all cities in the greater Boston area, Everett is extremely transient. That means that um, people move in and out all the time. So as a church planner, uh, you could see where this could become frustrating. It makes ministry extremely challenging, but also extremely rewarding. And so as a, a person moving into Everett, knowing that it was this extremely transient city, we knew that it was gonna be very important for us to plant roots as fast as possible when we got there. We needed to have a way to be able to show our community that we are here to stay. That Everett is not a project to us, Everett is home. And to do this, we needed to plant roots. This is why we, we got Archer plugged into the school that's closest to our house. But we also knew that it was a big deal for us to move from uh, the, the little two-bedroom apartment that we had when we first moved there into a house with some roots. And so I thank God for that apartment. That was a huge blessing, enormous blessing to be able to live in that apartment. But this really cool thing happened this past year, praise. 
And that's when we moved into a house in Everett. And it was only, I promise you, it was only something that God could do. And here's why. Typically, the housing market in New England is crazy, all right? People will list a house one night for a price, and you'll find out the next day that it's already been sold for a much higher price. And so people will offer, you know, fifty dollars to $100,000 more than the listing price, and it'll sell within the drop of a hat. And so this was the challenge that we kind of find, found ourselves in. It's cheaper to own a home than it is to rent a two-bedroom apartment too, by the way. Um, and so I ended up meeting a real estate agent in Everett named George Ubaha. George was uh, from Nigeria and he was a Christian and he worked so hard to find our family a home in Everett. And we found this house and I said, George, we really like this one. It had three bedrooms um, and it had a parking space, which is a huge deal in Everett. And he said, all right, well, let's go take a look at it. So we took a look at it and we made our offer and we, we were declined. And um, I said, George, that was our best offer. That was it. We don't have, we can't do anything else than what we just did. George is a Christian and he said, he called me that night, he said, Joe, he said, I feel like God is telling me that this is your house and that it's gonna come back to us, which never happens. He said, so let's pray. And we prayed. And then he called me back the next week. He said, hey, the owners called me back and they took your offer. Not only did they take your offer, but they wanna give you some money back in return too. I said, what? How does that happen? How does that happen? And so we were able to have, we're able to have a house in Everett. We've able, been able to plant these roots and meet all these new neighbors in Everett. But that's not where the story ends. Because remember I told you George is a Christian, right? And so he wanted to come to our church. And not only that, just a few weeks after we closed on our house, George shows up to my front door and he said, hey, I'm tithing to your church based on my commission from your house. And he handed me a check for Church at the Well in Everett. And I was like, man, how is this happening? How does this happen? People don't tell stories like this. But God, God made a way. And we knew it was important for us to plant roots in Everett. And so while we're, we're planting our lives in Everett, we're also planting the truth of the gospel in Everett. If you remember when we first moved to the Boston area in August of 2019, I was completing a one-year residency program through the North American Mission Board with a church that already existed in the Boston area. And my residency was with a church called Church at the Well in East Boston. All right, that church has existed for about 10 years now. Um, and through the residency program, I became really good friends with the pastors of Church at the Well in East Boston. And as we were talking, it's extremely, it's just extremely expensive for a church to survive in New England, which is why you see so many of them fold up. So we were talking through this and said, what can we do together creatively to try to figure out how to help more people survive here? How can we help our little church in Everett survive? And one of the things that we came up with was being able to share some expenses together. And so we agreed that we would create, uh, we're kind of calling it a micro network. Basically what it is, is a collection of, of churches who are coming together to say, hey, we can share expenses when it comes to things like insurance. We can share expensive when it comes to things like certain administrative things. All right, we can share some creativity and that helps, that goes a really long way. And so that's when we decided that the name of our church was gonna be also gonna be Church at the Well. And so now you have Church at the Well, which is in East Boston. And now you have our church, which is called Church at the Well in Everett. And this is, yep, that's what the logo looks like. It's named after um, Jesus's encounter with the woman in the well in John chapter four. 
And so we share resources, we share costs together. We're an autonomous church. We have our own, I'm the pastor of Church at the Well in Everett, the planter, but we're part of a network that shares certain resources in an effort to help more people and more churches survive. In fact, in Everett, um, I was riding down the main street there the other day and I noticed that something new was being built that was taking up like an entire block. I'm like, what in the world? What used to be there? Obviously, there was something there before. I don't even know what it is. Well, I was at City Hall the other day and I was talking to one of the building inspectors and he said, man, can you believe they tore my church down? And I said, what are you, where's your church? He said, it was down here where they're doing all the construction. There was a Catholic church that was being torn down in Everett. And we're seeing that more and more. And so we're trying to figure out ways to make sure that does not happen. And so one of our values at Church of the Well is, is truth. All right, we value truth, and that means a couple of different things. First, it means that we are committed to preaching the truth of the gospel directly from the Bible. Expositional sermons, we preach through verses of the Bible. Typically, when we do that, we preach through books of the Bible. And so right now, we're walking through a series uh, looking at 1 Peter. And so like I said, I preach every other Sunday, and then we stream it on Facebook on Sunday morning. Second, it means that we are committed to be truthful and honest with each other. One of the other praises that I have from this past year is that our team in Everett, Everett has grown. And this is huge. If you remember, when you guys sent us out, it was just us. We were literally parachuting into the city. We didn't know a soul. But over the course of 2020, God has provided two more families to join our team in Everett, which is a huge praise. So we have Ian and Kristen who have moved to Everett from East Boston. Kristen is an attorney. Ian um, is currently in seminary to study biblical counseling. And then we have Daniel and Deb. Daniel's in seminary studying church planting. Deb is a grad student at MIT. Daniel and Deb are getting married this summer, and I have the honor of officiating the wedding. So I'm really excited about that. But we meet together every single Thursday evening. We share a meal together. We share life together, and we study God's word together. And in these moments, in our meetings on Thursday nights, we are open and we're honest with each other. We share our struggles. We share our victories. We share our failures. We celebrate. We rejoice together. And this is what we see happen in the life of this Philippian jailer. When he hears the gospel, when he hears the truth, his heart is regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And he goes from this duty-bound guy who's serving his employer and his government well, who's willing to take his own life because he failed his government and his employer to now becoming a follower of Jesus. And then he does something really crazy in verse 33. It says he took them the same hour of the night and he washed their wounds. The truth of the gospel had such a profound impact on his life that he takes the wounds that he had helped cause and he takes responsibility for cleaning them. So he repents. He turns from his sin. He turns to Jesus he believes in the truth of the gospel that Jesus paid for those sins with his life and then he washes their wounds. A gospel culture prioritizes truth and repentance and that means that sometimes we have to wash some wounds. When we hear the truth that leads to repentance of sin, sometimes we need to go back and make some wrongs right this is a gospel culture and this is what I'm hoping to model at our church because a gospel culture has no grudges but that's not the only thing we see that a gospel culture leads to generosity at the beginning of verse 34 it says then he brought them up into his house and set food before them 
So this jailer, after becoming a Christian, he begins to practice this radical generosity by inviting those who he once considered to be enemies, by inviting these people who he once uh, took part in inflicting wounds upon, he's now inviting them into his home and preparing a meal for them. And so we have to understand a couple things about generosity to see exactly what's taking place in the jailer's life. The first thing is this, generosity wasn't his way of earning favor with God, all right? Generosity is not a way of us to earn God's favor. He already had God's favor. Nothing can be done to earn that. That's something that's given freely. The second is this, is that generosity meant more than money. Now, don't get me wrong, the way that we spend our money that we've been given by God is an indicator of where our heart is. The way we spend our money that God's given to to us tells us where our treasure truly is. But generosity doesn't just refer to money because here we see that this jailer is being extremely generous but it never tells us that he actually gave money to Paul and Silas. But he did open up his home and he did prepare a meal. And that was extremely generous. See, one of the myths that people believe about the church in our context in New England is that the church is just all about money. Giving to the church is almost like paying taxes. Church is just another human institution that's seeking to get rich off of your money. This is what people believe. So one of the things that we aim to do from day one is that we want to prove this myth wrong. And to do that, we said we are going to be generous. We are going to be a generous church. We will be open-handed with the things that God has given to us, including our money, including our time, and including our talents. And we just felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to say that we will meet the needs of our neighbors at any cost to us. Then the question became, well, how do we know the needs of our neighbors? And so if we wanna be generous, if we want to help those who are our neighbors, how can we get to know what they need? Well, you have to get to know them. And so this is where generosity can become messy because now, We're inviting people into our home who aren't like us. Now we're inviting people into our home who don't believe the same things that we believe. Now we're inviting people in our home who don't believe in Jesus. But we're inviting people into our life with the goal of telling them about Jesus. And so right when we first got started, COVID happened. And when we thought that would completely derail our vision for 2020, it actually opened doors that we never dreamed possible. And so people coming into our home for an extended period of time was, uh, was no longer a reality. And so we had to go back to the original question, how do we know the needs of our neighbors, especially when we can't meet up at a restaurant or a coffee shop, especially when no one feels comfortable coming into our home. And this is where we had the vision of starting a community aid network. You heard me, I came over the course of the summer and I told you briefly about the work of our community aid network. Basically what this is, is um, it's a very popular thing around the greater Boston area. A community aid network is a way for Uh, people who have needs to meet people who can meet needs, so to speak. And so our vision was we'll start one of these networks. We'll start the website, the Facebook page, and the Google form. We're, We're good, right? We can do all of those things. And so as we're building out this community aid network, it caught a little bit of traction. Uh, And then another group, so Everett did not have one. So this was a complete open door for us. Another group in Everett also had the vision of starting a community aid network. That group was made up of like a bunch of community leaders. And they saw, saw our network and they said, hey, would you guys be interested in joining forces? And we said, absolutely. So we decided to join our two community aid networks together to create this, the Everett Community Aid Network. I did all the website work for it. 
Um, we work together on some of the forms and stuff, but basically what would happen is uh, if there's a person in Everett, one of our neighbors who has a need, they would go fill out this Google form and say, this is the need I have. It could be um, an elderly person who needs help picking up a prescription. All right, it could be someone has just lost their job and they need help with groceries or something of that capacity. And so we built this network. We were meeting together twice a week. Uh, we scaled it back to meeting together once a week. This is where I'm gonna give my wife a shout out, all right? Because she has completely taken this community aid network and run with it. And so she monitors this Google form that we have now at least twice a week. And then she's constantly working to communicate with the people who have called in or who have completed the form to see what we can do to help. My, my vision was, hey, the church is gonna be the ones who meet most of these needs. We're gonna, we're gonna take that on. And so over the course of uh, this COVID with our community aid network, we pulled the numbers last week and we've helped over 271 households in Everett. One of the, yeah, it's good. One of the ways the church has been able to step in and help uh, besides our involvement in getting this thing set up is that we are the financial sponsor for the community aid network, which means that we, we basically just handle all the money. Uh, people within the city have seen the good work that we're doing and have donated directly to the church. People who aren't Christians, they say, I, I love what you're doing, and they give. We've received two grants, one from the uh, city of Boston, and we just received a $4,300 grant from the city of Everett. And they've literally just looked at the work we've been doing and say, keep going, keep doing it. And so we've used these funds to help pay for translators, Portuguese and Spanish and Haitian Creole translators. We've used these funds to help purchase food and gift cards for neighbors. And so literally what happens throughout the course of a week is that we'll receive um, requests from different people. My wife, who has taken the reins on this, will communicate with our neighbors and say, hey, what's going on? How can we help? We're able to connect people to the church. And then if there's a need that we can meet, like one of these $50 gift cards, it doesn't sound like much, but it goes a really long way. Jesse and all of our kids will all pile up into the car together because it's crazy getting around Everett. We were talking about the size of the roads in South Carolina this morning. In fact, on the way over here, it's like, look, no one's parked on either side of the street. We can just drive. We don't have to zigzag or pull over for someone to get by. But typically she'll drive and I'll be in the passenger seat. She'll pull up to a house. I'll jump out, run up to the door, deliver this gift card or whatever it is while she's in the car talking to the person. And then that's opened up doors for us to be able to do other things with those people. They've connected to our church. They worship with us on Sunday morning, even though it's on Facebook. And so it's been an extremely fruitful ministry. And in fact, we were recognized by one of our city councilors for the work we're doing and the newspaper called and interviewed us, which was a really cool thing. The next thing that we've done is that we partnered with a local deli in Everett called the Square Deli. And so the food there is absolutely phenomenal. When you come visit us, I say when, not if, when you come visit us, we will be getting food from the Square Deli. But I reached out to the owner of this place. His name was Chris. He's from Everett. He lives in Everett. Um, we're around the same age. And I said, Chris, man, what can we do like, I have, I have a little bit of money. All right, what can we do to help some people here? He said, I just got this list from a teacher of students whose families need food. He said, what if we take that little bit of money you got and we buy food at my cost, which is really cheap? He said, we'll package it up and then we'll deliver it. And I said, let's do it, man. And so I went over there, me and my team, and um, we packaged up boxes of food right in the middle of a deli, right in the middle of Everett, and then we all went out delivering it across our city. And so I still get to talk to Chris to this day, which has been an awesome thing. Next thing we did is that uh, around Easter, that's when we were in heavy lockdown in New England around Easter. Um, they didn't even want us to really leave our home unless we were going to get groceries. 
all right? It was pretty intense, and it went on for weeks and weeks and weeks. And so I said, man, kids, what are kids gonna do around Easter? You know, we had had a vision to do this big community egg hunt and a cookout and all these different things, and of course, we couldn't do any of that. And I said, well, hey, what if we bring the Easter to them? You know, and so I had this, I said, look, I'm just gonna put this thing out on Facebook. We'll see if anybody wants an Easter basket. I was like, hey, we might get a dozen people. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll deliver whatever it is. Well, uh, the form blew up and we got about 100 requests. I did not have that many Easter eggs. <laughs> and so I grew pretty concerned. Uh, all right, so I'm gonna be like um, Michael Scott on The Office. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Got any Office fans where it's like Scott's tots. He promised all those kids in kindergarten that he would give them a full scholarship to go to college. And then when the day came, he was like, just kidding. Um, I thought that was gonna be me with these Easter baskets. But I had another church planter friend just across the river in Boston who reached out to me and he said, hey man, I got all these Easter eggs. We were gonna be doing this egg hunt. We can't do it now. Can you use them? And I was like, praise God. <laughs> yes, I can use them. And so I drove over to Charlestown, picked up a big container of Easter eggs that him and a mission team from South Carolina had, had stuffed together. And I was able to use those eggs to pull this off. And so me and my family drove all across Everett for two days dropping off Easter baskets at people's house. And I just, it was one of the greatest experiences I've ever had in ministry, was just being able to talk to people. They'd yell out from their windows, happy Easter. Parents were sending me videos of their kids seeing this Easter basket and they were just losing it. And I was like, man, something simple like this. And then I put this picture of Archer up here because I'm so proud of that guy. He has grown so much in his faith since we've, we've moved. And, and he was like, dad, I'm, I'm gonna stuff these Easter baskets. And so he's been taking a major role in what we're doing. And then the next thing that we did guys is um, we developed a partnership with the Everett Grace Food Pantry. And so we, this food pantry is opened every Saturday morning. The city of Everett literally comes in and closes down all of what's called Church Street. Uh, people begin lining up around 8 a.m. and the mile is over, the, the line is over one mile long. Thousands of people come through to get food every Saturday morning. I walked up to this food bank with a, a small check and I said, hey, I see the work you're doing and I just want you to know that I really appreciate it. And here's a small donation. Please let me know if I can do anything to help. And they were like, who are you? I said, well, I'm a pastor here in town. She's like, a Christian pastor? I said, yes, ma'am. And she was like, oh, praise the Lord. And so now I got this awesome relationship with Irene and the people who run the Everett Grace Food Pantry. We partnered up with them. Here's a picture. Um, so there's a bunch of snow there. This was Halloween, all right? We had a white Halloween this year. And we just had this idea, man, there's so many kids who come through the food bank, you know, and their parents are just getting food and throwing it in. It's like, what if we did something for the kids? I just, you know, I have a, a soft spot in my heart for kids and students anyway. And so we got together one Thursday night and bagged tons of candy up. Some of you guys gave directly to helping with this project and I thank you so much because it was so rewarding to be able to do this. Um, but like I said, it was snowing and it was literally freezing like crazy and Archer was out there and Ainsley and Adam and Jess was like, I gotta get the kids home. I can't have them out here in this. And I was like, no, 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 go ahead. And Archer said, dad, I'm gonna stay because I'm gonna help. And he made sure that everybody came through, received the information about our church when they came through. And it was awesome. And so we, uh, we actually ran out of candy about halfway through the line. We had no idea that there was gonna be 2,000 people there that day. Um, <laughs> uh, but there was. And so we ran out of candy, but lo and behold, another church planter just showed up out of the blue. My friend Lionel Flores, who's a planter in a city just north of us. Uh, he, he's bilingual and he said, Pastor Joe, man, I came to help. He brought coffee, donuts, and like five really big bags of candy. And I said, brother, you came at just the right time. And so we dumped his candy in and then we were able to finish out the line because that's how God works sometimes. And it was awesome. 
So we got to meet a lot of people through that. We also did a, um, a toy drive, which the entire, entire city of Everett took a part of. And um, that was also done through the Grace Food Bank. And so God has allowed us to build a reputation in our city. So now when people hear about church at the well, Everett, they don't automatically say, oh great, another church. I'm sure that some people do, all right? But now when people hear about church at the well, Everett, they say that's that generous church. That's that church that helped me when I lost my job because of this stupid virus. Why would you do that? People ask me that question. Why would you help me? I said, because you're my neighbor. Then the conversation becomes, let me tell you about generosity that's been shown to me. This guy named Jesus, he took my debt and he paid for it. He paid for it all. And that's generosity. What I'm doing is temporary, but what Jesus has done is permanent, if you believe. And so even people who work with us in our community aid network, there's one Christian in the whole group besides us. They, they're, they're being more open about this whole thing now. They're like, hey, we, we wanna know about this. Not right now, all right? But, but in the future, we want you to tell us about this. And so we're trying to show our context a better culture, a generous culture, a gospel culture. And so many of you know that um, this is like my, my last picture. I'm gonna show you, it's a couple pictures, but a lot of you guys know that we had this vision in Everett that we would start this coffee house and that the coffee house, it's a nonprofit coffee house. We're gonna partner up with other nonprofits in the city of Everett and we're just gonna give our profits away to them. They're doing such a good work in the city. And then the coffee house location would be closed on Sunday and that's where our church would get to worship together. And so a month ago, I hired a realtor in Everett to help find what would be this location. We got a recommendation from our state representative, which goes a long way. And so there were some doors that were open for us that would not normally um, have been opened. And I'm, I'm excited to say that I have in my possession now a lease agreement that would go into effect the moment that we sign it for a location for a coffee house and church in Everett, Massachusetts. Now, it, may, it doesn't look like much right now. All right, we're talking about like 1,800 square feet. All right, that's not a lot of space. That's huge for New England. That's a big deal for where we are. And so this is me from the back kind of taking a picture forward. Uh, this is me uh, in the front taking a picture back. But there's a lot of things that we get to kind of tear out and open it up a little bit more to make this our our coffee house area where we will serve our community, where we will be able to build relationships, where we will be able to sit at a table across from a neighbor who does not believe in Jesus and tell them this is why we practice generosity. And we didn't know about it whenever we were looking at the location, but it has a completely open basement too, which just adds on to, uh, so that's not included in the 1800 square feet. And so right now we're trying to, this is a huge prayer request, we're trying to get permission from the city to be able to figure out what we need to do to this part of the building to be able to use this for our church and uh, be able to allow our community to use this location as well. And so this is a huge answer to prayer, but I'm still, you know, we're still going through this process. So we're still waiting on the building department and all that stuff to give us an answer. And then you see that there's a lot of work that needs to be done in a place like this to make it into a coffee house slash church. And so I'm hoping and praying that we would be able to arrange some type of mission trip where you guys would be able to come to Everett and help. But God is good, amen? And I, I showed you all of this. I know it's, it's, it's a lot, 
But I'm showing you all of these pictures and telling you in detail a lot of the things that we've been doing because I want you to see how your generosity is impacting the kingdom, not only here, but way up there. Your generosity is making a way for these things to happen. And I thank you for that. And it's amazing to see how all of this works together. I love how this passage ends. All right, you got uh, this gospel culture that's been introduced to this Philippian jailer. Now he has this gospel culture in his life. Jesus has transformed his heart. At the end of verse 34 says, and he rejoiced along with his entire household. He rejoiced. A gospel culture has joy. A gospel culture has rejoicing. Paul would later write to the Philippian church in Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. If we go back to the beginning of this story, Paul and Silas were, were rejoicing in the midst of a prison cell, which is what kicked this whole thing off. This gospel culture included a culture of rejoicing in any circumstance. And when we look you know, I ask myself this question, how can we as Christians rejoice always? That's easier said than done. How can Christians always experience joy? And I look at verse 34 and I say, the reason for the joy of the jailer was that he believed in God. And when I look at verse 25, I see the joy that Paul and Silas had, they were worshiping God. And then when we look at Philippians 4, 4, that Paul was writing to this church, he said the source of the joy for the Christian is rejoicing in the Lord. And so lasting joy is found in knowing God. And so I'm gonna tell a quick story and then I'll pray. But if the band wants to go ahead and come up, there's this guy named David who started coming into one of the coffee houses that was opened up by Church at the Well in East Boston. He was not a Christian. And just through conversation with Matt, who's one of the pastors for Church at the Well in East Boston, he started reading the Bible and the gospel completely transformed his life. And so you have this guy, David, who was just downtown Boston working, who's now met Jesus. And he has this gospel culture just from coming into a coffee house and meeting someone who also had this gospel culture. And David now volunteers at the coffee house sometimes. And Jesse was volunteering the other night at the coffee house, last Wednesday night, and David was there. And David asked her, he's like, why? He's like, I, I just love Christians. He said, cause they always have so much joy. That's because it's not like the rest of the world. This is that gospel culture, a culture of rejoicing, a culture of, of joy. And so are you simply, here's a couple questions for you. Are you simply condemning culture or are you working to introduce a better culture, a gospel culture? Are you prioritizing the truth of Jesus and repentance? Are you generous? Are you joyful? Maybe you reflect on your, your life in these few minutes that we have as we close and you see where you fall short in one or all of these. The bad news is that we all fall short at all of these. We all fall short of prioritizing the truth of Jesus in our life. We all fall short of living truly generous lives. We all fall short of being joyful in Christ at all times. But the good news is, is that Jesus meets us where we are. When we're just tired and we need rest. I find myself a lot of time when we fail and we need strength. Jesus is all that and more. He is the definition of truth. It's all about Jesus. And if you wanna know what ultimate truth looks like, look to Jesus the true word of God. He's the most generous person 
who ever lived because he took our debt, our sin, and he paid the death penalty that we deserved. He took on the wrath of God that should have been poured out onto me and you. And it just doesn't get any more generous than that. And he is the only source of true and lasting joy. And I'm inviting you this morning to get in on that because there's not a better offer out there. Let's pray together. God, I just thank you so much for this church. I thank you for these people that mean so much to me and my family. God, I know they mean so much to you too. And I'm grateful for the opportunity we've had to share and to just look at your word this morning at what this gospel culture looks like, God. Father, I pray that you would constantly remind us of the joy that we have in you. And Father, if anyone's here this morning who has never experienced that joy, I pray that this would be when. God, I pray that you would change lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.